Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be at this summer in Navy Yard. Make sure to check out Walters Self-Port Wall, Walters Unlimited Televisions, and Walters Outdoor Patio. Located just across the street from Nationals Park, open daily at 11 a.m. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the one two. Swing and a drive right field and deep. Racing back on it, Thomas. This one over his head and it's gone. Three run homer, Kyle Schwarber makes it 5 1 Phillies. The 0 1. Swing is blasted in the air to left center field and deep. Call going back on the run to the track. He leaps at the wall and it's gone. Another home run for Drew Ellis and it's now 8 1 Phillies. And the pitch, swing and a fly ball, left center field deep. Garrett going back, way back to the warning track, and there it goes. Bouncing up against the back wall of the Phillies' bullpen, and opposite field. Three-run home run for Kyle Schwarber. As the Phillies add three here in the top of the ninth, it's now Philadelphia 11 and Washington 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 5th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who's at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So as you probably know by now, we on Sunday in the Washington, D.C. area had a sonic boom was caused by an authorized DOD flight. Sonic boom! We on Sunday also had way too many booms caused by Phillies hitters at Nationals Park. An 11-3 Nats lost to the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 3 of a three-game series that the Nats ended up losing two games to one. Nats have the second-worst record in the National League at 25-34. and They, in this 11-3 loss, got out-homered by the Phillies 5-1. The Phillies' number 9 batter, Drew Ellis, hit two home runs. One of about 74 ex-Nats on the Phillies, Kyle Schwarber, he hit two homers. And yes, we have seen this before. Kyle Schwarber at Nationals Park in a month of June hitting some home runs. But Mark, this was a rough one for the Nats on Sunday. We heard that boom, by the way, at Nats Park. And I swear it was only minutes ahead of the bomb, the first of the two bombs. But I can promise everyone they were not connected, even though it kind of felt like it. This was frustrating for a lot of reasons. You look at the final score and you say they got crushed. And yes, they did get crushed. But in the top of the sixth inning, it's a 2-1 game. They are very much in it, very much with a chance to come out of this thing, taking a weekend series from the defending National League champions. And for a variety of reasons, that didn't happen. We're going to get into 
why that was, but it also felt to me, I don't know anybody else, if you've been watching this team, watching this whole series all weekend, it almost felt inevitable that it would come down to a situation like that. Kyle Schwarber at the plate, runners on base in a close game, and Davey having to decide who to have pitched to him, either to leave his starter in longer than he wanted to, or to go to one of his eight right-handed relievers in the bullpen because he has no left-handers. It is uh, really getting rough with this Nationals bullpen, and we've talked about this a lot lately. Just some numbers for you here. Nats relievers now for this season have an ERA of 473. Nats relievers now in this season have allowed 32 home runs. As we are taping this, and there are some games going on still on this Sunday, but as we are taping this, that is the second most home runs that have been allowed by a team's relievers this season. There are basically two things that you never want from your relievers, home runs and walks. You can tolerate most anything else, but homers and walks are killers from a bullpen. The Nats this season have been giving up home runs like crazy from a bullpen perspective. We certainly saw that in this game. We saw a just complete implosion of Andres Machado. We saw Thaddeus Ward give up a homer in the ninth inning. Do you think the changes are coming? I mean, do you think that finally we are going to start to see some new faces, some fresh arms in this bullpen? Or are the Nats just handcuffed right now by not having other viable options? I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think there are going to be changes come Tuesday when they face the Diamondbacks. I don't know how there couldn't be after what we saw, not just in this game, but what we've now seen building over time. Andres Machado now has an ERA of 847. He's been given chances. There have been a few moments here and there where he's looked pretty good, but the bigger picture, it has not been effective. And let's remember, this is someone that they designated for assignment at the end of last season or over the winter to clear a 40-man roster spot. He wasn't claimed. He stayed in the organization, opened the year at AAA, and then they called him up when they needed somebody. It has not gone well since. The problem, of course, with him is that he's out of minor league options. So if they make a move there, and not saying they wouldn't do this because I think there's a decent chance they would at this point, but you can't just option him to the minors. You'd have to DFA him again and see if he clears waivers or not. So I do think you reach a point that you got to do something. The problem is, what are the alternatives? Is Sean Doolittle ready after four minor league appearances on rehab, all of them at the single A level. Maybe he is. Four games in seven days, that's a good sign. He went back to back, but the competition level, not very high. And you know we still don't really know what he's going to be when he gets back up here. But I think the time is coming soon, whether it's Tuesday or a little further down the line. But the other options are not great when you look at the AAA bullpen. The lefties are Jose Ferrer and Alberto Baldonado. Ferrer is on the 40-man roster. Baldonado is not. They also had Matt Cronin, but he's on the IL, so he's not eligible at the moment. The right-handers who have an ERA under four at AAA are Jordan Weems, Gerson Moreno, Tyler Danish, and Amos Willingham. Only Weems is on the 40-man roster out of that group. Those are your options if you want to try to make a change at this point, so that tells you what they're dealing with. What about this? And I don't know if this would help anything, and we just talked about the lack of options, but the Nats right now have a bench guy named Michael Chavis, who basically never plays. Would it help the Nats in any way to go with one less position player and one more reliever, and maybe just add some more volume to the bullpen, so maybe everyone wouldn't have to be pitching as often? I get it. There aren't many options. Maybe this wouldn't do anything, but you know, I was just thinking about like what could be done realistically to help this team. Chavis basically never plays. Do you think that might help just to drop him, add some other reliever, and maybe hope that that could help in some way? 
I think it couldn't hurt to have an extra arm out there. Unfortunately, Major League Baseball rules do not allow that anymore. It's a maximum of 13 pitchers on your staff. So if you're carrying five starters, that means it's a maximum eight relievers. You can go the other way. You can carry an extra position player because God knows in the AL rules with a DH, you need as many bench players as possible, but you're not allowed to have more than 13 pitchers. So you can't have more than 13 pitchers. So it has nothing to do with like classifying a guy as a starter or a reliever. It's just 13 max. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But they did that because teams were stocking up pitching staffs with as many arms, 14, 15 guys, and that was slowing the game down. And the feeling was, hey, you want a more competitive, more exciting game, then you better have relievers who can go multiple innings or be able to pitch back-to-back days and all those things. I think there was a concern that the game was getting boring and slowing down because of overstocked bullpens. Well, this was another rough one for the bullpen on Sunday afternoon. Three Nats relievers combined to allow seven runs in three into third innings. We just talked about Andres Machado. I mean, this was a disaster. He officially allowed four runs in one inning. He faced nine batters. He got just three outs. Uh, He gave up two homers, a double, two singles, a walk, and a wild pitch. And the first homer really stuck out. Machado came into the game, top of the six, runners on first and second, two outs, Nats down 2-1. And Machado, to the first batter he faced, gave up a two-out, three-run home run by Kyle Schwarber to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-1 Phillies lead. And the route was on at that point. Machado then, in a three-run Phillies seventh, gave up a two-out, two-run homer by Drew Ellis to left center for an 8-1 Phillies lead. Mason Thompson did toss one and a third scoreless innings, but then Thaddeus Ward, top of the ninth, allowed three runs, gave up a one-out full count opposite field, three-run homer by Kyle Schwarber to left center for an 11-1 Phillies lead. We have seen a good number of Nationals blowout losses in recent years. We know what these blowout losses usually look like. This was a different one. The Phillies scored nine runs over the final four innings of this game, three in the top of the sixth, three in the top of the seventh, three in the top of the ninth. This really was a bullpen-induced blowout loss. Trevor Williams wasn't great, but he was good enough to have you in the game. The bullpen is what caused this game to end up being a blowout loss. Yeah, like I said, this was a competitive game. And the shame of it is that Davey had his three top guys available to him after they were not used on Saturday. Now, I don't know the exact machinations of this. I don't, maybe it still wouldn't have worked out because God knows those three haven't exactly been reliable every single time they've taken the mound. But I've got to believe that Davey's thinking to himself, if we can just get through the sixth and keep the game close, then I can go Edwards, Harvey, and Finnegan in some order, and that'll be enough. The problem was you got to get through the sixth first. Trevor Williams takes the mound for the sixth inning. He's at 87 pitches when the inning begins. He faces four batters, strikeout, walk, strikeout, and then an infield single. He's now up to 101 on the pitch count as Schwarber comes up to the plate. This is the first time that Trevor Williams had topped 100 pitches in almost two years. It was July of 2021 when he was still with the Cubs the last time that he did that. That was very much on David Martinez's mind. He said afterwards, I asked him what the calculation is in his head as he is deciding you know, what to do in that moment. He said, pitch count, pitch count, pitch count. Pitch count, pitch count, pitch count. So he was not going to push Trevor Williams beyond where he was at 101. So it starts with that. You're facing Schwarber for the fourth time as well, which is not a great position to be in. You're already worried about Williams facing the lineup the third time, let alone the fourth. So now you got to go to your bullpen. And here's the problem. We've been talking about this. Who else do you trust in these spots? 
And boy, would it be nice to have a left-hander you trusted right there. The Phillies were talking about it all weekend. Rob Thompson openly talked about the fact that he was able to stack his lineup however he wanted, knowing that the Nationals did not have a lefty reliever to match up with. And boy, did it not feel like that all came back to haunt the Nationals right there. You just saw that coming. You saw that situation developing exactly as it played out. It really is starting to stand out that the Nats don't have a lefty reliever. I'm always a little reluctant to harp on that just because it's like, get outs. You know what I mean? And you can have guys who get outs, righty versus lefty, lefty versus righty. Like it doesn't always have to be picture perfect if you get the exact matchups that you want. But yeah, I mean, in this series, this definitely stood out. There are no two ways about it. And you know, what's funny in hearing you say what you just said about, well, you know, Finnegan, Edwards, Harvey, you could have gotten to those guys at some point. There's no guarantee that those guys would have come through. And, and that's, I think, the biggest part of the problem right now. Like we can talk about A bullpen, B bullpen, all of it is an F bullpen. You know what I mean? Like, it's just all not very good right now. Even Harvey, who clearly has been the best of the bunch, he has had problems lately. And we saw that on Friday night. So you don't trust anyone. All you kind of do is hope for the best when these guys come into games. You hope that this is just a slump and that maybe, you know, a few days from now, some guys start to pick it up at least a little bit. It's hard to think it's going to continue to be this bad. But, you know, it's been bad for a while now. And even if it does get better, I think you're never going to feel really good about this bullpen this season. It's going to be hard to anyway. If this is, in fact, more or less what the bullpen is going to be for this season, I don't know that at any point you're going to feel that much better about this bullpen. And you know what? For a rebuilding team, it's not the end of the world. So, you know, I don't want to be like too dramatic about this. But we've gone from the bullpen early in the season being a perceived strength or at least halfway decent to now it really being an issue. And, you know, you really do start to say to yourself, man, if the bullpen was better, maybe this team would be in a position to where we could talk about being at 500 or being in wild card contention. I mean, as things stand now, the Nats aren't that far from wild card contention. And the bullpen just right now, it is really an issue. And there doesn't seem to be a way out of this. And I think that is really standing out. And I think that's why we're having this discussion and as passionate about it as we are and why fans are as frustrated as they are by this, because there's a recognition here. This isn't 2021 2022. This is a team that's actually playing pretty good baseball in all other respects, and they have given away games that were there for the taking, and very often it is because of the bullpen. They're not necessarily losing games because of their lineup. Now, I mean, they only scored three runs in this game, and two of them came in garbage time in the ninth, so I'm not going to try to make it sound like they were guaranteed to win this one. But we can point to a good number of games now over the last three, four weeks that you get just solid bullpen work and it flips the result. And this team is in a very different position. On the one hand, that's a good thing. That means that they are getting much better. They're more competitive and they're not that far away maybe from being in a better position. But it also makes it really frustrating because if there was one aspect of the team going into the season that we thought probably safe to say they should be decent, it was the bullpen. And instead, it's kind of turned into their biggest weakness at the moment. Yeah, and we know the bullpen has been an Achilles heel for Mike Rizzo over the years. Even when the team was good, Rizzo had a hard time building up good bullpens in off-seasons. In-seasons, he actually did some good things. It was actually one of the first things Rizzo did as acting GM in 2009, rebuilt the bullpen that season. And that was actually, to me anyway, like the first thing that really made you say to yourself, wow, this guy Rizzo seems to know what he's doing. Well, you know, this season, of course, you're not going to try to 
go out and make trades or anything like that. The bullpen presumably is going to be more or less what it is right now. We talked about Trevor Williams a little bit. You know, I, I thought overall, a typical Trevor Williams start for this season. The final line doesn't look so great. Four runs, five and two-thirds innings, but the last two runs came on that Kyle Schwarber home run off Andres Machado. Williams only gave up six hits, although two of them were home runs. Did issue four walks. That was a problem, but he did have six strikeouts. I mean, I think we know what it is with Trevor Williams, and if nothing else, he's been pretty consistent. Like, he's never great. His high end is not Mackenzie Gore's high end, but his low end is not, say, Patrick Corbin's low end. Like, with Williams, you're pretty certain start in, start out, more or less what you're going to get. Yeah, he's going to give you a chance. And I think it really boils down to him. Can he get through the fifth? And then maybe can he get through the sixth and keep you in the game? And it ties in with that bullpen. If you have four arms that you trust there and a lefty in particular that you trust, you're probably never getting to that point. You probably pull Williams a little sooner than that. But Davey's going to force the issue as far as he can because he knows right now Trevor Williams approaching 100 pitches and facing a lineup three times through is a better option than whoever he's going to call in from the bullpen. Now, I'll be interested over the course of the season, as he really has a starter's workload, does he push that more? Does he say, okay, you're a full-time starter now. You can give me 105 or 110 on a given day. Now, Williams has to actually show that he can not just get that opportunity, but then succeed when doing it. And it feels like, and this happened in his last start as well, he carried a shutout in the fifth at Dodger Stadium, and then it all fell apart in part because of an error, and that's why all the runs were unearned. But it feels like his starts are very different innings one through three or one through four versus innings five and six. And maybe that's what you just expect from a number five starter. But if that's the case, then you got to treat him like a number five starter and pull him at the first sign of trouble or even before he gets in trouble. The problem then, okay, here's that bullpen again. Go ahead, give us four or five innings on the days that Trevor Williams pitches, and that's a lot to ask, obviously. You know, I know we joke about our guy Paolo Espino, but I mean, why not have him come up and at least on a day when Trevor Williams is starting, you could bring in Espino to throw a few innings, you know? I, I just, I don't know. You try to think about ways out of this because it, it would seem that there's got to be something that can be done to make what's happening right now better, but it is tough. There aren't obvious options to go to, that's for sure. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Getting tickets to sporting events has changed from the old days. There are more options than ever before. But game time stands out above the rest. If you need last-minute tickets to the ballpark or any other local sporting event, Visit GameTime.co. They even have options to purchase parking. 
It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the 1-1. Swing a line drive, deep left center field toward the gap. This is way back. No one's going to get it, and it is off the wall. It caroms along the warning track, along the bullpen fence. So Manessis is going to round second. Schwarber picks it up by the bullpen door, and Manessis has a stand-up triple. Oh, what a bounce. The ball hit the angled wall at the right corner of the Phillies' bullpen and rolled all the way along the bullpen fence to the door on the left side of the bullpen. And that allows Joy Manessis to have a stand-up triple, his first of the season. Well, the Nationals' offense in this 11-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, 10 hits. The numbers end up looking a little bit better because of the uh, basically meaningless two runs that had scored in the bottom of the ninth. Ildemoro Vargas hit a two-run homer. But the Nats, really just not a lot happening offensively in this game. Like I said, 10 hits for the game, just one walk. Nats went 0-4 for 4 with runners in scoring position. There are, though, a few things I want to make mention of with the offense in this game. So Joey Manessis, this is a really interesting season that Manessis is having now. He continues to not hit like any home runs. He has two home runs the entire season. He has yet to get going to any degree when it comes to hitting homers, but he is generating hits. And Manessis in this series is working backwards, one for four with a triple, one for three with a single and a walk, two for three with an RBI single, another single and a walk. Joey Manessis for this season has a batting average of 305, an on-base percentage of 347, but a slugging percentage of 399. There's the uh, accolade in baseball of a 300, 400, 500 batter, right? 300 average, 400 on-base, 500 slugging. Manessis this season could be a 300, 300, 300 batter, which is like extremely rare where you finish in the 300s in all three of the slash line categories. So it's a fascinating offensive season. He leads the Nats by miles and hits 71 hits now through just 56 games. 
this season. And oh, by the way, Manessis on Sunday afternoon had a triple. He and Nats one run fourth, a leadoff triple off the left center field wall that actually pretty comically kept rolling away from our friend Kyle Schwarber, the Phillies left fielder. It went from like left center field all the way near to the left field corner, which was kind of odd. But what do you make of the season that Manessis is having? It's hard to decide. Like, is this a good season or a bad season? I think what he's showing us is that he is a good hitter, that he's not necessarily a good power hitter, and he's still trying to find that. Now, that one was close to clearing the yard altogether, the triple. It hit off the wall, really one of the deepest parts of the yard in deep left center. He thought off the bat it had a chance to go out, and I'm sure he really wishes that it did. So I'm holding judgment a little bit longer. Now that the weather has warmed up, we're going to start to maybe see the ball fly. We certainly saw it fly this weekend, whether that's because of the weather or because of the Phillies, maybe there will be a little more of that. He's not going to be a big-time home run hitter. It doesn't appear to be that way. But when you think about the background, where he came from, what he is, if he ends up being a 300 hitter with some gap-to-gap power, he's also he's hitting over 400 with runners in scoring position. So, I mean, he is delivering for them in meaningful spots. It's just a lot of singles. Because they built this lineup around him, it feels frustrating. But On the other hand, you have to remind yourself, this is a 31-year-old who spent a decade in the minors. Anything you get from him is a bonus. And if he does somehow turn into a legitimate 300 hitter in the big leagues, that's not terrible. You're just going to need to find other guys to supply the power. Also, the Nats in this game on Sunday afternoon got more production from two reserves who this season have barely played, but when they have played, have done quite well. Talking about Riley Adams and Ildemaro Vargas. So I mentioned Vargas. I mean, the homer was meaningless in terms of the uh, outcome of the game, but it still was a homer. And he also had a double in this game. Vargas has an ad starting shortstop and number seven batter, two for four with the two run homer and a double. He did commit a fielding error, but Vargas for this season, just 52 plate appearances, but an OPS of 873. And Riley Adams on Sunday afternoon as an ad starting catcher and number eight batter, two for four with two singles. Adams this season, just 44 plate appearances, but an OPS of 1,000. So again, they don't play often, but when they do play, they continue to come through. It's crazy. If you just look at their season totals, you would think, oh, they've only been on the roster for a few weeks. No, they've both been here since opening day, have not missed any time at all. They just don't play. All the credit in the world to them. This is not easy to do, to sit on the bench for days and then come in and actually be productive. I give them a lot of credit. That's a tough spot to be in. It's really nice to see that they can produce. Maybe that will lead to more opportunities. I think we are starting to see with Adams a few more starts. It was Cabert Ruiz five out of six days in a given week. It's now kind of two out of three. Adams has caught the finale of a bunch of these series finales, and he's earned it. And I think we'll see more of it because of that. And Vargas, I thought this was interesting too. C.J. Abrams had last Sunday off, and he got this Sunday off. Back-to-back Sundays off is not something they had been doing very much with him. So for Vargas to step up and do that, it's a sign that they trust him to do it and also probably a sign that they think C.J. Abrams could use a few more breathers, both physically and mentally. It was a little bit of a rough week for him with the errors in the field. And I wonder if Davey just kind of wanted to give him a chance to catch his collective breath and then come back on Tuesday against the Diamondbacks. Each of the Nats' bottom four batters on Sunday afternoon had two hits. Dominic Smith, Ildemora Vargas, Riley Adams, and Alex Call. Eight of the Nats' 10 hits in this game coming from the bottom four in the lineup. All right, so we had the big news on Saturday morning, the uh, report from Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on Steven Strasburg and the, you know, basically frightening state that he is in from a health standpoint. He's been completely shut down 
from physical activity again is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote. Also in this report was the uh, whopper of a reveal that uh, the learners for this Steven Strasburg 70-year $245 million contract do not have any disability insurance. I know that Davey Martinez got asked about the Strasburg situation during his pregame presser on Sunday, didn't say much, but I know that you have some intel on why the Nats do not have disability insurance on the Strasburg contract. And um, that to me is really fascinating why this would not be the case. What do you know here? You know, I don't think there's any surprise that this is a story that all of us have been looking into and working on for a while as you kind of read the tea leaves and understand where this ultimately appears to be heading. The insurance question was one that had been out there for a very long time, one that I never really got a good answer for from anybody until recently, just within the last week to 10 days. There were very few people who knew the answer to that question. And here's what you need to know about that. That's not necessarily something that the player or his agents would have to know. This is something that the team decides to do at the very highest level. It's not like it's written into the contract and Strasburg doesn't even sign it until he knows if there's insurance or not. It's up to the team to decide if they want to insure a contract. Now, what I've been told about these things is this. It is really cost prohibitive to get insurance on a professional athlete, especially one who has a contract of that length. We're talking well into the eight figures. So perhaps $20 million or more on top of the $245 million contract. And then, in addition to that, insurance companies aren't always willing to just give you whatever you want. They may not even insure the particular part of the body that you'd be most concerned about. It gets that specific. It's not just a blanket insurance policy, oh, if this guy suffers a career-ending injury, it's covered. They have to decide, as any insurance company when deciding whether to insure your car, your home, your life, anything else, where the risks are and how much to charge you and what they're willing to cover. So it's a complicated thing. The sense I've gotten is that while they ultimately could have spent the money to do it, they decided it was too much perhaps to spend that and maybe would not have even been covered for what wound up happening. You think about it, a pitcher is going to be covered for his arm. And Strasburg, I guess, in theory, is dealing with more of a neck or rib or back issue. I don't know how that would officially be classified for that. So you put that all together and that kind of gives some explanation why they maybe decided not to insure. I'm not saying that was the right choice. Of course, as with all matters of insurance in any walk of life, there's a risk involved in it. Is it worth it? You hope you don't ever need it, but when you do need it, boy, you wish you had it. And that's probably the case that they're in right now. Can you not insure, say, just a portion of the contract like, I know in the NFL, a lot of big money quarterback contracts are insured, but it's not necessarily the entirety of the contract that's insured. Like, I know that Alex Smith's contract was insured for about $12 million. Matt Ryan's contract with the Atlanta Falcons was insured for, I think, $20 million. Is there a way that the learners could have insured the Strasburg deal for up to, say, I don't know, $50 million or 60 or 100 or something like that? to where you find sort of that right middle ground between ownership of the Nats and the insurance company to where there's a number that makes sense for both sides. Is something like that at all doable? I honestly don't know the answer to that. This isn't one that comes up a lot in baseball. I've heard of a few over the years. It really only happens on the big time contracts. And even then, as we're seeing, it's not always a guarantee that you're going to get it. So I don't know specifically. The only thing I was told is that apparently it does specify things like which part of your body. So it's not like 
if he had was in a terrible accident or, or something happened to, to his leg, that may not be insured. And so even if you had the insurance, it might only be for an arm injury. So I think you do have to specify body parts and maybe types of injuries and things like that. You know, you hope these things never come into play. And the vast majority of the time, they never do. But that is the calculation that teams have to make when they sign somebody to such a large contract. And, and then keep in mind as well, injury history plays a huge part of it. Just like you're getting life insurance. If you're 65 years old, a smoker with diabetes, your life insurance policy is going to cost a lot more than if you're 25 with no health issues. Steven Strasburg in his 30s, given all the troubles that he's had in the past, that's going to raise the premiums on it all. All of that adds up to it and, and explains why this isn't necessarily a cut and dry, yes, we're going to get the insurance or no, we're not. Now, the other part of all this, really, I think the question now that's still left to be answered is, how does this all end? I think we know it is coming to an end, but how does it all end? And what I've gathered, what I've come to understand here is that this is a complicated process as well. Now, let's consider a few different things. Baseball contracts are guaranteed. The money is going to be his unless you voluntarily retire, in which case you forfeit your remaining salary. Well, is Steven Strasburg, with the advice of Scott Boris, going to walk away from, I think it's over $120 million that he's still owed over the next three plus seasons by just announcing his retirement? Probably not. So you stay on the roster. But if you're going to stay on the roster, you got to be take up a roster spot. You have to go on the IL and you have to actually be making some kind of effort to rehab. You can't just be stashed away if you're not physically able to perform or physically able to try to get to a point that you're performing. So there's been some rehabbing going on, as Jesse outlined in his article, but there's only so much that he can do. So I think there's an issue there as well. I don't think it's feasible to say, that Steven Strasburg is going to spend the next three and a half years rehabbing, quote unquote, to try to make it back and therefore honor the contract. So I think there's an issue there. Ultimately, the two sides have to negotiate this on their own and come up with some kind of settlement, whatever that means financially, timeline-wise, how much work is involved, how much rehab is involved. And my sense is that there is still a lot of work to be done in that regard, that there have been some discussions, but there's still a long way to go for that. And that's why, even though we seem to know that it's going to end, we don't know how and when it's going to end because of that process and how complicated it is. And I'll inject this into the mix, the ownership uncertainty. If you're the learners and you don't plan on owning this team for much longer, why are you going to pay off this Strasburg contract, even if it is at, say, you know, 70 cents on the dollar, whatever it would be, when you can just have the next owner of the team deal with that? And, you know, you just pay Strasburg out this year, maybe a little bit in the next year. And depending on when you sell the team, you have uh, the next owner deal with something like that. So, yeah. And the other thing, too, or another thing is, and you just sort of reference this, but this is only the fourth season of this 70-year contract. This isn't like, say, the Orioles-Chris Davis situation where they were able to figure it out with one year left on the deal. Like, you know, who cares at that point, right? This is, you still have a decent amount of this contract to go. And so, you know, you add that into this, the ownership uncertainty, Scott Boris, like you said, the fact that the contract is guaranteed. And yeah, <laughs> it's not simple. You wonder... If it could get ugly, I sure hope not. But, you know, especially considering some of the parties involved here, Boris, we know how the learners are with spending money on things other than player salaries. Like maybe this does get contentious. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. This could be a very difficult and sort of rocky negotiation to figure this thing out. You don't want it to get ugly for sure. 
But man, this does not seem like something with a very simple and easy and uh, necessarily smooth resolution. It's not. And I think that's why it's dragged on as long as it has and why there's been so little that's gotten out since. We've all kind of, like I said, been reading the tea leaves and seen where this was likely going. But the reason that there hasn't been any true resolution to it is everything that we've just outlined there. And just big picture, step back from it all. I just want to say it's really sad. Everything about this is sad. This guy gave everything he had to the organization in 2019 to help them win a World Series. I have no doubt they don't win that World Series without Steven Strasburg. It's why he was the MVP. And not just in the World Series, what he did throughout the playoffs, what he did in previous years in the playoffs when he was healthy. And we can discuss and debate the contract they gave him and whether it was right, whether it was wrong and all that. But I think everybody has to just acknowledge nobody ever wanted it to see it go down this way. A guy who provided so many thrills for this organization and for baseball fans in D.C. to really have his career come to a halt like this and in such a disappointing way through no fault of his own. Let's keep that in mind. It's just sad. And we've talked about how he hasn't been here at the ballpark, at least not while everyone else is around, hasn't been in public view throughout this all. I do hope whenever it's all said and done that they can all find a way to do something to honor him. I would hope that Nationals fans will look at the bigger picture and see everything that he did for them over the years, what he meant for them when he was healthy, and honor that and celebrate that and instead not focus on the way this is all ending. It'll be up to the history books to decide how his career is viewed, but I would hope that most people can look at all the good that he did and how good he was when he was out there and not focus on all the times that he wasn't able to pitch. Yeah. I mean, I said this on the last show. The number one item in his legacy is that he's one of the best clutch performers in Washington, D.C. sports history. Now, his injury history is part of the story. The contract is part of the story. But the lead item is that he is legitimately one of the best clutch performers in not just Nats history, not just D.C. baseball history, but D.C. sports history. And that's a really special thing. You know, that's not something that uh, anyone can ever take from him. One more thing. So obviously a report like this from Jesse and intel that you're getting, you know, you're being given it by sources. We always ask the question when these things come out, who is the leaker? Who are the leakers? Given the complicated and testy nature of the contract negotiations in terms of trying to figure out this Strasburg thing, do you think the Nats are the ones leaking some of this stuff about where Strasburg is at? Is there a strategical reason for the Nats to do this to where it would be out there that Strasburg is done and having these physical problems. Maybe there isn't, but I was just trying to think, like, we've heard nothing about Strasburg for so much of this ordeal. And then all of a sudden, we get a report filled with detail about where he's at. I find that notable at the very least, maybe even more than notable. What did you make of that aspect of all of this, that this intel is being provided? It's obviously coming from somewhere. Is there a reason for that? Uh, Without revealing too much here because you know I'm using some of the same reporting methods myself and I'm sure talk to some of the same people that Jesse has I don't believe that this was a case of either side of the equation trying to get the story out I think this is something that both of us and I'm sure others who cover the team and who cover baseball have been trying to dig up here for a while you know 
the lack of info has made all of us think, okay, what's really going on here? The timing of it, the fact that we're now more than two months into the season. You know, if you think about it, he was placed on the 60-day IL. That day just passed. Not that anybody believed he was going to come back, but it sort of makes for a good time to revisit this. We had not really gotten into it in a while. I can't speak for how Jesse does his reporting, but I know from my own standpoint, it's something that I asked a little bit early on in the season, but really in the last few weeks, you start to say, okay, it's time to start trying to really figure out what's going on here. So I think it's more a case of us digging into it, wondering, okay, what's going on? It's time to start putting something out there about this and not either side of that equation, the Nationals or the Strasbourg-Boris side, coming to any outlet and saying, hey, we want this story out there. Well, some happier news. The Nats' top prospect, James Wood, he on Sunday afternoon in a 14-10 win for AA Harrisburg at Bowie. Three for five, solo homer, two doubles. So there was that on Sunday. Also, in the NCAA tournament in college baseball, uh, the season for number 19 Maryland is over, and the season ends thanks to a loss to George Mason. The Terps dropped their elimination game in the Winston-Salem Regional, an 11-10 loss against Mason on a walk-off sacrifice fly. So, look, I went to Maryland. I was rooting for my Terps, but uh, great job by Mason. Great season by Mason, uh, 8-10 tournament champion. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Shover, see what we can do for you again that email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website. Check that out, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 A Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 2-1 pitch. It swung on and crushed. Deep to right field, and there's no shot for Hudson Haskin. It is way gone. It's the second time this week that James Wood has cleared the sponsorship board in right field. His second double-A home run in game number six for him. 407 feet into right field, and Harrisburg's back within a run. It's 5-4. to four. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.